This is Lifelinks with a DL link. Well, welcome to it. It's five minutes past 12 o'clock and this indeed is the DL Link show. And on this show, we connect you through insights and information and illumination. Of course, the DL Link has been in existence, wow, since 2010 and uh, all the way back then, Michelle Goodman and Jackie Altsula, um, just uh, put together this organization that they, I think, had no idea that in 2018 they would be looking after and caring for and nurturing over well over 700 families within the community and just providing a very safe place um, and resources like fun activities for children and beauty treatments to lift the spirits and alternative healing therapists such as reflexologists and massage therapists and information booklets and various illnesses, a link to medical professionals and to survivors um, to share their experiences. Um, just outstanding work time and time again. So every Thursday we bring a show to you and this Thursday, well, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a controversial show and uh, I'm hoping that we're all going to have a very open mind um, during the show. I think that there's no gray area in the questions that we're going to be asking. You either say yes Yes, or you say no, and I'm talking about um, the right to die and and assisted suicide, and um, not a very comfortable topic, but something that we decided we we needed to just talk about um, here on the DL Link Show. Of course, um, any opinions expressed during the show is not endorsed in any way um, by the DL Link, but we hope that you will be a part of the discussion. I'm going to be chatting um, with um, uh, Professor Willem Landman, who is the board. Me- a board member on Dignity SA and um, he's going to be talking about just the legislation here in South Africa and then Rabbi Fox is going to be joining us and halakhically we're going to be looking at this um, this topic as I said a controversial and very uncomfortable topic but something that I think that we perhaps should be talking about here on the DL Link show. So we're going to be starting off um, also covering the DL Link's team that they are sending to Jerusalem for the marathon. The marathon taking place on the 9th of March. Israel is celebrating 70 years. The DL Link have been working tirelessly to get teams together so that they can send a group of people over to Jerusalem and they can run in the names of warriors um, who every single day are waking up and fighting and running their own marathon, internal and external marathon. And they are being remembered and honored and um, all amazing things happen happening um, with the DL Link team. So the registration closed today and I hope that if it was something that you wanted to do, I hope you managed to register. Now the next kind of, I, I won't even say mountain because when it comes to the DL Link and the team, they overcome these hurdles. But I'd say the next little hurdle is trying to get as much sponsorship as possible. So we've got all of these people who are going to be running and now we've got to, for those who can't afford it, we want to make sure that they can get there and have the best experience possible. So if you are interested in 
sponsoring um, Team DL Link at the Jerusalem Marathon, please do give them a call. They really would welcome any kind of assistance that you can give. Um, you can call them on 011-485-3269. That is 011-485-3269. And um, you can go to their website as well. I am going to give you their banking details, however. And if you would like to make some kind of a donation, please do. Um, the, 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 it's the DL link is the name of the account. They are with Ned Bank. Um, quickly get a pen and paper and um, you can jot this down. I will repeat it a little bit later. The account number is 100. 108-2818. That's the DL link. It's the donation bank details. It's there with Nedbank. The account is 100 108 We're going to take a very quick break. After the break, Nikki Raz from the Zionist Fed is going to be talking about a particular person that they have um, put together a sponsorship for who is going to be running with Team DL Link. So stay with us. This is LifeLinks with a DL Link. Welcome back. 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Nikki Severini and this is the DL Link Show. It is really a countdown. I mean, it's a countdown to the 9th of March. The Jerusalem Marathon Team DL Link are getting ready. They're training hard. It's very, very exciting. Um, and they have partnered with the South African Zionist uh, Federation. And I have Nikki Raz, the National Director of the Zionist Fed, to tell us a little bit more. Nikki, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. Thanks thank, for having me on the show. Thanks for being so patient. So, Nikki, tell us, why have you got involved um, with the DL Link and getting a team over to Jerusalem for the marathon? Um, well, firstly, I think that the DL Link obviously do incredible work. And um, I had uh, the privilege of having a discussion with Tammy a couple of years ago when um, I did the Jerusalem Marathon myself and the DL Link took a team we were part of two different teams, but, um, you know, they continue to take people every single year. And being the 70th year um, of, of the independence of Israel, it was such a great event to try and get as many runners to Israel as we could from South Africa that uh, when Terry and I had the discussion, I said that we were happy to endorse and be involved um, because it's just such an amazing year to make the trip to Israel and it's such an amazing event to be part of. Fantastic. And, uh, I mean, I've interviewed so many people, past, you know, warriors and those who have last year, they've had someone running in their name and this year they're going and running in somebody else's name. It's just an extraordinary experience for everybody involved. So I'm so interested because I, I have Moses on the line and I'm going to be chatting with him in a moment. But Moses Moyo, who's the editor of the Inner City Gazette, is going along. He's joining T, uh, Team DL Link and you have put together a sponsorship for him. So what is your association with, with Moses? We uh, we work very closely with Moses. Moses has been a wonderful friend, not only to the Zionist Fed, but to the South African Friends of Israel um, organization, which is part of the Zionist Fed. Um, Moses and his team have covered some crucial Israel-related media and really put a very positive Israel message um, out in his inner city gazette. Um, he, he also supports all of, all of our events, and he's always there when he needs to be there. You know, he, he covers uh, some horrible events like boycotts, you know, events that have been boycotted by BDS. He puts the message out for us. 
um, he's he's really a true friend. And when he when Tammy mentioned that she had spoken to Moses about uh, joining the team, and then I I had a chat with Moses, and he told me he's starting to run and he's training, and it's something that he's always wanted to do. It's not his first time in Israel. Um, I thought you know it's it's a, it's a really really great way for us to show our appreciation for everything that he's done for us and to give him the opportunity to actually cover um, the team and the marathon itself during the 70th year. So, yeah, we, we, we're very proud to, to have him on board. Fantastic. Nikki, thank you so much. I'm going to be chatting with Moses in, in just a sec, but thank you so much um, for your ongoing yeah. support, for your partnering with the DL Link to get this team over to Israel. Um, it is indeed a very special year, celebrating 70 years of independence, sending teams over in the beautiful city of Jerusalem. Thanks so much, Nikki. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So over to Moses, Moses Moyo, who is the editor of the Inner City Gazette. Hello, Moses. Thank you for joining us. Uh, good afternoon and good afternoon to your listeners. Lovely to have you on the show. And I suppose the first question I have to ask you is how is the training going? Uh, so the training is going very well. Uh, I've increased my daily run. Uh, yesterday saw me do about eight kilometers. Uh-huh. And uh, my muscles are sore, but I'm um, enjoying it. It's for a good cause. Oh, fantastic. And how do you feel about being a part of Team DL Link, going to Israel and, and running in this marathon, which has been described as spectacular? It's so special running through Jerusalem, through the ancient streets, but I believe very, very hilly, not necessarily an easy marathon. How are you feeling about it? Uh, I'm, I'm excited. Um, I'd like to appreciate uh, the support I got from uh, Nikki and her team and her organization. And um, it's, it's such a great pleasure for me to, to have linked up with the Dear Link team to actually lend a hand mm. uh, to the type of marvelous work they do. Mm. And um, as, as, as someone that's passionate about Israel and who has Israel in his heart, um, it's it's warming that I'll be doing this kind act in that type of environment. Uh, I'm ready for the pain and um, and the I, pleasure. I just, yes, <laughs> and the pleasure. I was saying, Moses. I'm sure the pain as you're going up the hill, but down the hill and round. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of pleasure that goes with it. So, so how obviously Nikki made the introduction, and you know Tammy, but your association with the DL Link, you 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 spoke about the incredible work that they did. You you mentioned it. Um, are you going to be running with the Warriors name? Just tell tell us a little bit about the relationship and and what you're going to be doing with the marathon. Um, I, I was introduced to DL Link by Kathy uh, Kayla, mm-hmm. um, a good uh, friend of mine who inspires me in what I do in my journalism work. And um, she said there's this organization that um, has been adopted by your radio station, and she invited me to one event they had in the evening. And I was inspired, I was touched, and uh, I basically related in my family. Uh, I've had family members that passed on mm-hmm. um, uh, to to cancer related illnesses, mm-hmm. but we we didn't know. And and can I be frank? In a in black community, there's little talk about cancer. Really? There's little information available about cancer mm-hmm. in our community. We talk about HIV, TB, and witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was sitting listening to to Thomas presentation, it actually dawned on me that uh, as a journalist, as an activist. I actually need to take um, 
the cancer awareness campaign um, to my community. Mm. I need to educate people about it. And uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll be writing from Jerusalem about the work Dear Link does. Um, I will, I will uh, let everyone I meet uh, know about the good work that Dear Link uh, does. And uh, from the marathon going forward, you'll see me always putting on the orange ribbon of Dear Link. And uh, I want to encourage talking about cancer in the black community. It mustn't be a thing that's not talked about. Mm. Um, I think it's going to be an incredible awareness campaign, Moses. And I believe that you are running for African Cancer Warriors. Yes, yes, I'm running for African Cancer Warriors. And uh, I just want to ask you listeners that are listening that uh, please log on to Dear Link website, uh, put in the pledges, put in donations, and... uh, I'm going to do a good run. Oh, fantastic. Which which one are you going to be doing, Moses? The the 10K? I'm, I'm doing the 10K. Good for you. Listen, uh, I'm doing the 10K. Yeah. So after doing the 10K, then I'll uh, basically go on the lines again and start tweeting, Facebooking, oh. uh, asking for people to pledge and support the work of Dear Link. And then... Uh, uh, like take the whole beautiful Jerusalem experience, bring it to South Africa using using the social media platforms that I'm linked to. That sounds great, Moses. Um, Nikki mentioned that it's not the first time you've been to Israel. Yes, this will be my third time going to Israel. Your third time? Wow. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And and yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful country and uh, I, I encourage everyone that's listening uh, to support Dear Link. Uh, uh, Jerusalem will be 70 this year. Let's send in a big team next year and uh, let's introduce our country uh, to the good that is in Jerusalem uh, through the work that Dear Link is doing. Oh. Uh, we need social vehicles like uh, Dear Link that bring people together, that actually expose uh South Africans, Africans, uh, to the rest of the world. Absolutely, Moses. Well, we wish you much success. Um, we hope that it's a very meaningful but easy marathon. And we look forward to following you on all your different social media platforms. Uh, obviously, and very importantly, bringing cancer awareness to your community. Um, thank you for your time. And um, I hope that we're going to have a chat when you get back so you can fill us in on all the wonderful stories. Thank you. Thank you for having me and thanks for listening to your listeners. Thank you, Moses. Do take care. That was Moses Moyo, editor of the Inner City Gazette. Um, the Zionist Fed organized sponsorship for him. Um, I love that he is bringing cancer awareness to his community. Um, once again, the DL link just reaching out further and further and further. So please do call the DL link if you'd like to get involved in sponsorship or go to their website www.dllink.co.za or you can call them on 011-485-3269 We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Stay with us. This is LifeLinks with a DL link. Welcome back. 21 minutes past 12 o'clock on the DL link. And this really is the show where we connect you through insights and information and illumination. And every week we have a warrior. They share their story and we try and bring you information so that you can make the decisions um, on your journey. If you yourself are a warrior, if you're a family member, if you're a friend, we really do try and bring the stories to you. 
And sometimes the stories and the ideas, the concepts are difficult and they, um, they're uncomfortable to talk about. And I, and I think that, that what we're going to be talking about, as I said a little bit earlier, is not an easy discussion, but I think it's an important discussion to have. And I would like to start off by saying that any of the opinions that are expressed, um, in this show are not endorsed in any way by the DL link. Um, we, you know, years ago I had the opportunity, actually while I was on High FM, it was a completely different show, I had the opportunity of interviewing Professor Sean Davidson, who had written a book. And um, his mother, who was a doctor in New Zealand, um, had cancer. And um, there was a long story of how he went and he moved to New Zealand to look after his mother. And she expressed um, very clearly that um, she wanted him to help her um, die. Um, she wanted assisted suicide. And it's, you know, we, we, we spoke about it and it was very tough for him and what he endured and what she endured. And ultimately, he wrote this book and um, then officials in New Zealand found out that in fact he had assisted his mother and when he returned to New Zealand for six months he was under house arrest but he returned to South Africa and he's a huge advocate um, for assisted suicide and he's part of Dignity SA and we've had I've had numerous discussions um, with Sean but it is a difficult discussion Um, and as I said I don't think there's a grey area I'm not sure that you sort of think or maybe you do it's either a yes or no, and it's you can either be very passionately for, or very passionately against it. So I have Professor Willem Lundman, who is on the board of Dignity SA, um, and um, after we've chatted with the professor, um, I'm very excited that Rabbi Gidon Fox um, will be joining us because we're going to be looking at the halachic um, 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 background and and setup uh, with regards to um, the the right to die. So Professor Willem Lundman, I mean he's he's done incredible. Incredible, incredible things. He is the founding CEO of the Ethics Institute. He's chaired the Africa Ethics Board. He's studied at Oxford and UNISA and Stellenbosch. He's studied philosophy, law, theology, political philosophy, um, professor of medical ethics at the University of North Carolina until 2000, um, executive committee, as I said, of Dignity SA, and he served as an ethics advisor to the Global Fund in Geneva. So, Professor Lantman, thank you very much for joining us, and thank Thank you so much for your time. That's a great pleasure, and thank you for inviting me. Professor, I mean, I started off saying that it's quite a difficult topic. Um, as I said, I had um, Professor Davidson um, on my show a number of times talking about it, and people are either for or they're against it. So I'd like to ask you your your experience and why you are a board member of, of Dignity SA. Indeed, it's, it, it can be quite difficult um, from the point of view of understanding the concepts involved and the arguments on, on, on both sides, for and against. But the reason why I feel passionately about it is that I believe that we all reach, uh, may reach a stage where death becomes the only option to, uh, you know, to be rid of, of, of suffering uh, and you know, we have a constitutional right, I believe, to be assisted with dying. In other words, to have access to the means to to be to be assisted. And um, there is a conflict between, or a tension between, the common law, which still sees it uh, uh, assistance as being a party to to unlawful killing, uh, you know, uh, 
murder perhaps. Mm-hmm. And the constitution, which uh, I believe superseded the uh, common law and to such an extent that the common law should be developed, which says that we have a right to dignity, for example, mm-hmm. and, and uh, integrity of the, of the physical body. And I think we have those rights, but they're not yet explicitly recognized in, in our law. And, and that's why I joined Dignity SA, so that we could see whether we could take, take the legislation or decriminalization of certain forms, certain circumscribed forms of assisted dying, uh, to de- decriminalize it or, or legalize it. Okay. I'd, I'd like to, let, let, for, for our listeners, let's just expand. What, what exactly, how would you describe assisted dying? Basically, assisted dying is called assisted dying because um, uh, we need, in order to die uh, of our own free will and, and not through some accident, we need access to means. We need to be supplied with means. And in this sense, there are two uh, forms of assisted dying. The one is if somebody supplies me with the means and I, for example, ingest it, uh, that is called physician-assisted suicide. The final act is what is what I do. Mm-hmm. And the other uh, the, the other form of assisted dying is what uh, is called physician-assisted euthanasia. Then somebody else supplies and administers the means. For example, if, if somebody is unable to to ingest, in other words, needs uh, a third party, another person, to not only supply but to administer. I see. Thank you very much, um, um, Professor. So let's talk about where the law stands in South Africa at the moment. I know that Dignity SA have been um, fighting and, as you said, not just looking at the common law, but uh, trying to look at the constitution, that it is the right um, of an individual to decide. Where, where does Dignity SA stand um, at the moment in terms of the law? Well, basically our common law is opposed to it. And, and we run the risk of, of criminal action if we assist somebody. So that is, that is the, the usual conception. And although some argue that the Constitution, uh, that we have constitutional rights that support our claim to, to assistance, uh, it's not sure how the courts will decide uh, because there is no explicit legislation as we, for example, get in, um, in, in the state of Oregon, the United States, one, the Netherlands, mm-hmm. the Belgium, mm-hmm. and now Victoria in Australia. So we, we do run a risk. Although the Supreme Court of Appeal in, in December 2016 said it's not that straightforward, there are forms of assisted dying which are now, uh, take the current state of our law, which would now be legal, and that is if you supply a means, a legal means, to somebody who then, of his or own, her own free will, decides to, to, to use the means to die. So in other words, the causal connection between my decision to assist and the decision, the free decision, uh, autonomous decision by somebody to ingest the means to, or to apply the means in order to die, if that causal connection is broken, then I am not legally liable. But it has to be uh, looked at case by case, and that's why uh, legislation by Parliament is, is what, we, uh, you know, what, what we wish would, would happen. And, Professor, if, if we look at a living will, for example, so if someone happens to be on life support, um, is, is that, are you looking at that law at all, or is, are you, is it really just the assisted suicide? No, that, no, that's very important. You know, the South African Law Commission, which was commissioned by President Mandela in the, in the mid-90s, issued a, two reports. 
and appended draft legislation in the late 1990s. That draft legislation covered all end-of-life decision, uh, decisions. Uh, pain management that, that might shorten life uh, withholding or withdrawal withdrawing life support, life-sustaining treatment, and also physician-assisted suicide and physician-assisted euthanasia. But also, to, to, to come to your question, also at what, is what we call advanced directives. And one form of an advanced directive is a living will. Mm-hmm. A living will is legal in South Africa if you look at the National Health Act of 2003, but it's, it's tucked away and you have to search for it, and it's not explicit as it is, for example, in virtually every state in the United States. So, there is a, a, a drive in Parliament I know about that, uh, which, which wants to table, uh, which has the intention of tabling uh, a private member's bill so that um, uh, members of Parliament can vote according to their conscience to have a, a living will explicitly legalized. And the, the problem is that doctors don't know whether if they follow a living will, they would have adequate protection mm. or immunization against mm. uh, so, civil and, and, and criminal legal action. So I think it's a very important instrument. It has a very limited use, and that is, if I were to become incapacitated and unable to take a rational decision, under those conditions, I do not want life-sustaining treatment uh, instituted, or if instituted, I want it discontinued. Uh, and that living will, uh, the, the question is whether doctors would follow that. At the moment, it's, it's, it's very nebulous. Mm. And and with the assisted with the assisted suicide, as it stands in South Africa, if a doctor does prescribe medication yeah. um, and the person can take that medication, they they can be criminally criminally charged. It is. It depends it is at breaking the moment. The law. Right. It, 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 at the moment, it would depend greatly on the intention of, of the doctor. If the intention is, and given the condition of the patient, to alleviate pain and the secondary effect is to shorten life, then the, the doctor has no, nothing to worry about. It's simply a medical decision, a prudent medical decision. Right. So uh, life is shortened, but the primary intention is to, is to relieve suffering. If the doctor actually prescribes uh, 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 the means, to, for, for, a, for a patient to, or in, for example, to inject a patient with the intention of killing that person, mm-hmm. uh, of, of, of uh, you know, committing, shall I say, uh, euthanasia, mm-hmm. then that doctor would be in jeopardy. I do think it happens. Uh, I, I think it's, it's under the radar, mm-hmm. but that doesn't, that doesn't give any comfort to, to physicians who do that. Mm-hmm. And Professor, just the last question. In South Africa, so Dignity SA have been around for quite a while. What are people's feelings? Do you have a lot of support? It's, it's difficult. The, the, the way to, one way to, uh, you know, to measure support is simply anecdotal. People who approach us who are in desperate positions and want us to help. That's not what we do. We simply, mm. you know, we, we, our primary function is to change the law. Right. But, you know, if I, if I look at uh, the past 25 years in which I've uh, appeared on radio programs like these, you know, sometimes with phone-ins and television and so on, I detect a marked shift, and I have some some uh, research to back that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, uh, towards people, depending on which radio station we're talking about, which social strata of the population listen to the uh, tune into these radio stations or TV stations, you know that that there's a marked shift towards far greater understanding. I think it's because of the the information, you know, access to the internet and so on. So it's it, it's quite conceivable to have a, uh, and it's happened. 
that we are on uh, television programs and then there's a there's a uh, electronic vote and then deep in the 90% would would support us hmm. even conservative radio stations in Pretoria where I used to live would now have a majority of on average 55% of people supporting this because people are just much more informed and mm. they understand mm. that this is a, a real plight of people who simply want to be assisted and are in a in a position that no one of us wants to be but could be if our life progresses in a certain way. Mm. Professor, thank you so much for coming onto the show and explaining it and um, just giving an idea of where we stand in terms of the law. As I said, it's not an easy discussion to have, but um, you've explained it so well and, and we thank appreciate you it. Much. Thank and, you. And, and good luck with the discussion with the rabbi. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Professor Bye-bye. Lundman. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye bye. Professor Willem Lundman, a board member of Dignity SA. And I suppose the question I, sh- I should be asking right now is how. Do you feel about it? Um, do you have an opinion? Um, maybe you want to share it with us. Maybe you want to SMS us on 34519. Um, Rabbi Fox will be joining us in just a moment. We're going to be looking at, from a Jewish perspective, um, where do we stand in terms of assisted suicide? There have been many books written. I mean, just so recently, Jojo Moyer's um, book, Me Before You, um, turned into a movie. A most magnificent story, but something very much related to assisted dying. So yeah, I'd love to hear from you. We're going to take a quick break and then Rabbi Fox will be joining us. So stay with us. This is Lifelinks with a DL link. Welcome back. This is the DL link show where we keep you connected and we give you insightful and illuminating information and well today's show as I said it's a little bit difficult we're talking about assisted suicide, assisted death um, assisted dying, I just had uh, Professor Lantman who is on the board of Dignity SA and so eloquently explaining the law in South Africa um, and where we stand in terms of that and once again I'd just like to say that um, in no way um, are any of the Opinions expressed on this, this show um, endorsed by the DL Link, but we do feel that it's important to have these discussions um, and be able to be very open about it. So it, it would be remiss if we didn't invite a rabbi onto the show and just see, in terms of you know the Jewish religion, where we stand with assisted dying. So Rabbi Gidon Fox has come all the way from Pretoria. We've had him on the show before, and um, we were talking about donation of blood and bone marrow, and we sort of started on on organ donation we thought we'd leave that to another show so uh, Rabbi Fox seems to be the go-to um, rabbi when it comes to these very controversial very uncomfortable um, discussions so I'm so delighted that he came into the studio today Rabbi Fox welcome and thank you for joining us thank you for the opportunity albeit a bit of a poison cha- cha- uh, it is chalice indeed. excuse for the uh, for the f- phrase I think one needs to first look in a global perspective because the moment that we start to discuss ethics, uh, we on very nebulous ground. When one looks at, for example, the Hippocratic Oath and the ethics that it promulgated uh, all the way back when it was originally um, put forward, there are elements of it that 
do not gel well today, certainly without discussion. For example, it says, neither will I administer a poison to anybody when asked to do so, nor will I suggest that such a course. Mm-hmm. Clearly, our conversation today has thrown that ethical perspective out of the window. Absolutely. In the 17th century, it was perhaps articulated simply as first do no harm. And once again, that's clearly our Ethics have changed with the progression of time. Uh, Whether one calls that progress or regress obviously would uh, be determined by a person's world perspective. Right. Part of the that problem is a problem which people don't like to uh, engage with. But the question of what is often termed the slippery slope is one which we find very offensive in many ways. But Let's look at it just from the context of this uh, assisted suicide, assisted dying. We've tried to reframe Mm. it in order to make it as benign as possible, Mm. but we're taking a life. Mm -hmm. One thing is it's not benign. And the first country to actually legalize euthanasia was the Netherlands. And I don't know how many of your listeners are aware that in 2016, in Netherlands, they allowed a perfectly healthy alcoholic who had struggled with alcoholism for decades and clearly must have destroyed his relationships and and everything. They allowed him euthanasia because he did not want to continue to be an alcoholic. His life wasn't wasn't in mortal danger, but and he sat on the day when he was to be administered that lethal oh. injection together with his brother. He had it. They had a beer. They had a ham sandwich. He told some jokes. They gave him the injection, and that was and it. And that was that. And that was because he did not feel that his life as an alcoholic had a value or that he wanted to. He said he tried everything possible to try and break that addiction. It was unsuccessful, and it reached a point where he just didn't want to face that addiction anymore, and therefore he took his life. And I don't want to interrupt you because I, I, I know that you're on a roll, but it, you know, you go straight into judgment, and anyone listening now is going to judge, like, that's a terrible thing to do, you didn't try hard enough, I understand he was in pain. Whatever it is, there is a judgment, and it's based on our perspective and how we see the world, and, and that's why this topic is... It's such an uncomfortable and difficult topic. Who are we to, who are we to say? So I, I agree. We're not, I'm not here sitting in judgment of him, whether right. he was, he had the willpower, he didn't have the willpower. We don't know I, his I'm pain. in judgment, right. if you will. It's a very bad term. I'm uncomfortable the with the term. Of a the law, law that was supposedly there for people with terminal illnesses uh-huh. in dire suffering right. where there is no hope whatsoever and saying, let them die in dignity. And from that has evolved where where if a person feels that their life is something they don't want to confront the demons or they've tried and been unsuccessful, that the law will then facilitate that person having made a conscious, cogent decision to terminate their life. The law will then allow it. Mm -hmm. And that's the slippery slope which cannot be ignored. We have to take that into recognition. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I, I always in a sense, shudder when we start to speak about ethics because they are so pliable. When I grew up, the discussion around drugs was just saying no. Mm -hmm. When I left Australia 12 years ago, the discussion around drugs was make sure you do it with a friend around so that if anything goes south, they can call emergency Mm -hmm. services. Mm -hmm. We're no longer trying to tell people 
about refraining, just utilizing it in a in in a more socially conscious ma- uh, and and acceptable manner. Mm. So see how how we've just shifted the yes. goals from the first Hippocratic oath to where we're at now. Mm. The first Hippocratic oath says not to administer poison. Here we're talking about the medical profession actually utilizing their knowledge and expertise to end a life. And I'm not. It's not a question of the the nature of that life. And and I think it's important to understand that Judaism does not exist in a bubble. I've been in the rabbinate, fortunately, more than two decades. I have sat by the bedside of people with suffering, personally in our family as well. I've seen that suffering. I've seen that pain. I've I've shared that pain. It's not that Judaism is devoid of the emotional side. Mm -hmm. But the moment that we allow ourselves to be governed by that side, the moment that we allow ourselves to be governed by these pliable morality and ethics, so look where it ends. And I'm going to say something I accept highly controversial, Mm -hmm. but I think it's important to be said in order that we can have an honest appraisal of just the very concept of ethics that the, and I say once again, highly controversial, the gas chambers that were adopted and employed by the Nazis in Machshimam, the Holocaust, started out as a way of of getting rid of unwanteds within society, not Jews. Mm-hmm. People, people with depression, people with bipolar, were then medicated or they did the gas chambers in order to remove it. This concept of utilizing a God-given gift of healing to do the opposite is creates a tension that society is able to start going down a road which creates a value judgment of of life. And this, I think, is where Judaism steers so distinctly different from the general population. And there's two aspects to it. Firstly, I always say there's no such thing as, as Jewish ethics, it's Jewish law. Mm. We're just fortunately blessed with a law which is ethical. Mm-hmm. Be- and the reason I say that is precisely for the reason because ethics change as norm- uh, what becomes normative in society, society changes. Society changes, right. But law doesn't change, at least not divine law. We mm. heard from the professor that, uh, endeavoring to change South African law to suit the ethics of the day. Because that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying mm-hmm. to redefine the law to accept the ethics that allows for taking a person's life. Mm-hmm. We don't have that. That's not the one aspect. It's important for us to understand that from a Jewish perspective, life is sacrosanct. It is not relative. The theory of relativity does not enter into the Jewish discourse. There's no such thing as one person's life being more valuable than another. Mm -hmm. What can be accomplished by one individual being weighed up against what can be accomplished by another individual. Life is absolute. If a person has the classification of life, then it's valuable. And it certainly is not within the realm of our possibility to terminate that life. This discussion has many tentacles. Many. It extends into what kind of treatment we end with uh-huh. in end-of-life treatment. People have a certain misconception that no matter what the prognosis is, we're going to do absolutely everything to prolong a life of suffering, and that's not correct. That's one of the tentacles of this. So let's just try and somehow other limit our discussion to the question of taking, uh, taking a life away. And I think it's, it's therefore important, as I said, that we recognize that from our perspective, life is absolute. 
a life of suffering, a life of pain, the one thing is we live in a time where suffering can be mitigated and it can be medicated. Now, that doesn't mean that the person has what others would consider a quality of life. There is indeed no reason why a person today should suffer endless pain. We have medication. The professor himself indicated, and interestingly enough, I always say that the world is catching up to the Torah. Because we, these issues predated and were pre-discussed. From a Torah perspective, there's no question. When we are administering morphine in order to alleviate a person's pain and suffering, there is a possibility that the side effect of that will ultimately be the person's life will come to an end. Mm-hmm. The heart will end up stopping as a result of the medication that has been given. However, the reason for the medication is not to terminate a it's life. for the pain. The reason is to end pain. And, and mm-hmm. therefore... Uh, one doesn't want to trivialize it. If the issue is do no harm, that's precisely what we're doing. Right. We're alleviating pain. If the result of that ultimately is the end of a person's life, God forbid, that's, that's so, so be it. But to actively go and to administer something with the specific intent that we're going to end a life, that we're not allowed to do. And one of the reasons is because contrary to, to popular belief, my life and my body is actually not mine. It's a gift that God gave me that hopefully I will maximize for as long as that gift is given to me. But it doesn't belong to me. By way of an example, we're not allowed to self-mutilate for the simple reason it doesn't belong to me. If I want, I can, I can take a, an item of clothing there's a concept of, of senseless destruction. If it gives me tremendous pleasure to make a bonfire out of my wardrobe, I am entitled to do that. It belongs to me and I can do with it mm-hmm. as I wish, mm-hmm. as long as there's some type of a positive aspect to it. I am not in a position to cause myself physical bodily harm because it's not my body. And that's a, a, a bit of a misconception as to... Uh, what my body, the professor I'll was do, saying, I can do with it as I want. It's totally mine. So that's where faith, I mean, we spoke of air, I said, and, and, and that's really where faith comes into it. I, I said to you, you know, I, I grapple with the, the concept because on, on one level, I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't create myself. I, I, you know, I didn't put myself here and I don't know what really ultimately I'm going to be doing, what, what, what was planned for me and maybe that way of leaving this world would be a particular way, an, an illness or a paralysis or whatever it is, God forbid, and maybe that is what was in store for me and I don't know, and maybe the suffering or the ending is part of my growth um, in this world. And I say that and as I sit opposite you, a healthy person, thank God, and I don't have to face any of those challenges, thank God. But each situation is so completely different. And when you are faced with a situation where you've been told by doctors that this could be, um, you know, they, they, we've tried everything and this could be the way you end and you could suffer terribly and your family could suffer terribly because they see what's going to happen to you and you're not going to be of sane mind and it's going to be painful and it's going to be whatever it is and and for for some reason a person decides I don't want to endure that and I don't want my family to go through that I mean just a few years ago there was a case in the United States of this young woman who had this brain tumor and it was growing very very fast and they had 
they said to her, listen, it's, it's, it's a galloping cancer and, and this is what's going to happen. She said, please tell me exactly how it's going to end. And they told her and she said she didn't, she, she didn't want to put her family through that. She didn't want to endure that. And so she moved to Oregon where it was, um, you know, legal to have the assisted suicide. And it was fair. I mean, I followed it. I was fascinated. I just didn't understand how someone who hadn't reached that point yet could still have the strength to say, I don't want to go there. Like I'm not there yet, but I don't want to go there. And so she gathered around with her family and her friends and it, she, she was there for her husband's last birthday. And then she she took the medication and so many emotions came up in me because I couldn't understand it because of sane mind and healthy body at that point. But again, you know, is it the faith that's going to take you through? Is it your reaction at that particular time? You're thinking of other people. It's, um, I think I've gone round perhaps in many, many circles. So we're going to unpack what I've said. Let's take a quick break and let's just talk about that for the people who are listening. And, you know, they've, they've thought about it and how, how can faith then, then carry them through that? So stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Lifelinks with a DL link. Welcome back. The DL Link Show. Um, I have Rabbi Gidon Fox um, from uh, Pretoria, the Pretoria Hebrew Congregation. Um, and we are talking about assisted dying, assisted suicide. You know, I went around in a few circles um, just before the break and, and just talking about the faith taking you through. But please respond. So th- there's a couple of things. First of all, the the very fact that a doctor has a divine right to provide medical care is itself divine. It comes from the Chumash, but that's the parameters of what they're entitled to do. They're allowed to bring health. They're not allowed to do the opposite from a, from a Jewish legal perspective. Equally, they cannot foretell the future. So, and I'm not talking about miraculous circumstances or out of the the norm ex- uh, circumstances, but even when they tell you what the final days are going to look like, the truth is they can say what they could look like. Mm-hmm. They cannot say with absolute definitive, conclusive. 100% this is what it's going mm-hmm. to look like mm-hmm. and sometimes that actually just instills a tremendous fear in the individual right. so for us we look at what is the right of the doctor and and incidentally it is to such a degree that we actually view a doctor not as an absolute but as maybe a strong option or possibility or perspective and let me elucidate we know we're not allowed to eat and drink on Yom Kippur. You've got a, a patient who says they want to eat and they're not feeling good. They feel they need to eat and drink something. The doctor says there's no reason for him to. He's absolutely fine. And the patient says, I need to eat and drink. We're not interested in the doctor. We listen to the patient. patient. Mm. So in other words, if the doctor is a thousand percent, a hundred percent correct, then certainly we should listen to him over the patient when it comes to eating or drinking on Yom Kippur, the desecration of Shabbat. And the truth is we don't because no matter how certain a doctor is, they can't be 100% conclusive and 100% certain. Mm -hmm. So that's one aspect of it. The responsibility and the job of the doctor is to alleviate pain and suffering and is to provide cure, not to predict the future. And even when it seems to be relatively predictable, it's never absolute and it's never certain. Uh, I, I'd like to highlight, I'm, I'm concerned about time. I'd like to highlight perhaps two aspects. Mm-hmm. Number one is 
I mentioned that from our perspective, it's not an ethical question. It's a legal question. Mm -hmm. And therefore, everything is dated in the Talmud. It's fascinating to me whenever I learn these materials is that contemporary issues can actually be sourced in a text that was closed about 1600 years ago. And there's a, a famous story told of one of the great sages, Rabbi Hanina ben Trajan. I won't go into the gruesome parts of it, but basically he was tortured to death. Mm -hmm. And there was something he could do that would have hastened his passing. And when his students, unable to tolerate seeing their teacher suffer like this, ask him to take those actions that are going to hasten his demise, he says it is better that the one who gave life should take life rather than an individual harm themselves physically. Sure. And it's that perspective and it's that understanding wow. that it's not our lives. Now, again, it's not devoid of, of empathy and of sympathy for the suffering, which can be alleviated through medication. Mm -hmm. The other aspect I'd like to mention is that it does go to a question of how we view life. And from a Jewish perspective, and I understand it doesn't always end up in this way, a fleeting moment in this world can achieve so much that can never be achieved in the world to come. There's a story of the famous Vilna Gaon, that on his deathbed he was crying. And they asked him, why are you crying? After all, he'd lived such a, a spiritually noble and uplifted life. He knew where he was going. You know, most of us, we're not. well, I can't say I, I'm pretty sure where I'm going in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. But most of us aren't sure we're going upstairs or downstairs. Right. He knew exactly where he was going. Right. Why on earth was he crying? What was he perturbed about? And he held on to these strings of his tzitzit. And he said, you know, for a couple of rubles, for a very small amount of money, I can buy this garment, I can put on the strings, and I can perform a mitzvah. The moment that I move into the next world, as glorious as it might be, that's removed from me. I can never be, I will never be able to do that mitzvah again, devoid of a physical body. When a person looks at the value of every moment of time in this world, every moment of time with a child, with a grandchild, even with the suffering, when a person feels, you know, I've got, Whatever time I have, maybe I've got one more Friday that I could light Shabbos candles. Who wants to lose that? Who wants to sure. forfeit that? Mm. Be because of the pain and the suffering, it's unimaginable that pain and suffering. Mm. But it's equally and unimaginable. Loss and so much loss. Pain, suffering, and loss. Pain, suffering, and loss. Um, also, it still goes back to a perspective, an outlook, and how we, we deal with these things. Because even that loss can be empowering to those who have experienced mm, the loss. Mm. We Even see it the on the trauma. show. Listen, we, we have that on the show all the time, Rabbi Fox. We have warriors talking about the loss, the gain, um, you know. The, the trauma that a person has can, can be harnessed sometimes for greatness. And that's, that's not a question of the circumstance. It's a question of our response. You know, hmm. Stephen Covey writes, what's the, the word responsibility is an amalgamation of two words, responsibility. We don't have control over the circumstances of our life by and large. The only thing we have an ability to control is our response. Responsibility is our ability to choose the responses. Rabbi Fox, thank you.
Wish we had more time. time. It was lovely. Thank you for joining us. Listen, thank you for listening. I hope that we've opened your mind, that you've got to see both sides. Um, as I said, it's illuminating. It's connecting. It's what we want to do here on the DL link. So thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening. Um, I really love today's show. It opened my mind and my eyes in many, many ways. Thank you for joining me. I look so forward to being with you next week. Same time. From me, Nikki Seberini. Take care. Goodbye.